we are starting a brand new series today called Creed. And for seven weeks, uh, together as a faith family, we are going to be looking at an ancient Christian confession of faith known as the Apostles' Creed. That very prolific writer, A.W. Tozer, opens his famous book, The Knowledge of the Holy, with this very famous and familiar line. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he's right. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And this is true whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. Here's why. Our lives are like a chain reaction. What I mean by this is when there are wrong ideas about God that we have about who he is and, and what he's like, they always lead to wrong living in God's world. And wrong living always leads to broken lives. And this series is going to be about reversing this chain reaction, seeing a change in how we live and how we we think. We want to replace our untrue and our harmful ideas about God that, that all of us have the propensity to carry around at times, including those who follow Christ. We want to replace those ideas with true and helpful and beautiful ideas about God. Why? Well, that chain reaction works the other way too. When we believe the truth, right ideas about God, it leads to right living, and right living in God's world leads to renewed lives. And renewed lives are our passion, our goal at Southwinds. We want to see people renewed in Jesus. We want to see life change. So to launch this series today, I have two large goals. First of all, I just wanna introduce you to the Apostles' Creed. That's gonna be the first part of our message. Why are we doing this? What is the Apostles' Creed? Why does it matter? And then we're gonna spend the second half of this message talking about the first two words of the creed, those words, I believe. Now, whenever we say we believe in Jesus, so what do we mean? You know, if someone asked you, do you believe in Jesus? And you responded to them, yeah. And then they said to you, what does that mean? Here's my question. Could you give them a clear answer? That's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna look at that from a passage in Romans 10. And, and so now we're gonna do what we are going to do each week of that, this series that's ahead of us. And it is something that churches all around the world, every continent, uh, for 1,600 plus years now have been doing. We're gonna stand And we're gonna say together the words of the Apostles' Creed. So I wanna invite you, would you stand with me right now? Uh, The Apostles' Creed is going to be on the screen. And let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen, amen. You may be seated. So here's what I I know. Reading the Apostles' Creed 
Uh, even just doing this series is landing differently with different ones among us. See, as we read these words together, I'm confident because some of you have already told me, some of you, uh, maybe coming from more liturgical backgrounds, maybe Anglican, maybe, maybe Catholic, you were thrilled and you just love this. You're excited about it. This is awesome. You can't wait to go through this series. Others of you also from more liturgical backgrounds, uh, that may have caused a little bit of PTSD for you right there. And, and then some of you are from church backgrounds, and this would be actually my church background, where uh, you may have heard things like, no creed but Christ, or no book but the Bible, and right now you're wondering, what's going on here at Southwinds right now? And, and then there probably are some of you, you have like no context for this at all. It's kind of maybe weirding you out that a community of people would like stand up and read these really old words out loud together and maybe a friend invited you and you're thinking, I don't even know if I believe what I said. This, this makes me really uncomfortable. See, all of us are coming to this from some different places. And so the first thing I want to do and need to do is just help us all get on the same page. And to do that, I wanna answer a couple of questions. The first one is this, what's the Apostles' Creed? What is the Apostles' Creed? I'm gonna give you a brief definition. The Apostles' Creed is a short, memorable summary of the historic Christian faith. Now, I mentioned this earlier. This creed has been used by Christians, by the church, and this is really kind of mind-blowing, for the past 1,600 years. Christ followers in virtually every denomination on every continent in every century have recited these words. And it's really a, a beautiful thing to think about. I mean, as we all stood up and we all read together, we were doing at least two things. First, we were bringing ourselves into line with the historic Christian church, with what the church throughout 2,000 years of history has affirmed, has believed. Second, and this is amazing to think about, we're also bringing ourselves into line with today's global Christian church. As we stood and read, just think about this, millions of Christ followers on October 17, 2021 are saying the same thing on every continent, all around the world, in all kinds of churches. Many of them are speaking those words right now. And we are saying, as we speak those words, that we believe with the historic Christian church that this is the hope of the world. The Christian faith is the hope of the world. And at first, I just wanna say this, this reminds us, it should remind us that the Christian faith is so much more than just my personal faith, you know, me and Jesus, my Bible, a cup of coffee. It is also the historic global reality and we are stepping into it. I hope you are seeing, even in this reading, this initial reading, this is way bigger than you. It's way bigger than me. And that's a beautiful thing. Michael Bird is an Australian theologian who's written an excellent book called What Christians Ought to Believe. It's a book on the Apostles' Creed and he calls the Apostles' Creed the idiot's guide to Christianity. I think that's a pretty apt statement. It's the summary, it's the essence, it's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And that just tells us we all need to know these things. See, as this creed was being developed by Christians so long ago, the goal was this. The goal was to take the Bible and think about it. The Bible, it is, it's a pretty big book, right? 
It's kind of a massive book. It's over a thousand pages. I don't care what edition you have it in. And, and, and it's often confusing sometimes. It was to take the Bible. This is the goal, to take the Bible and just to give this short, memorable summary of its core teachings and to lay in front of everyone the story that stands at the heart of the Bible. See, the Apostles' Creed is, is distilling this ancient book with so many uh, different ideas and concepts and stories and history, all these things, and putting it down into this memorable summary that we can understand. Matt Chandler says the Apostles' Creed is like the moon in relationship to the Bible's sun. See, the Bible is the source of it all. It's the heat. It's where God speaks to us. It's where God reveals himself. The Bible is God's authoritative word. It is what we bring our lives in submission under. This is where we meet God in his word. The creed, like the moon, is not that source of light or heat, but it reflects it. It makes it manageable for us to look at and comprehend. It, it helps us to see the Bible's light in all of its glory. It reflects the beauty of the source. So each week what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be taking a line or some, more than one line a number of weeks and taking those lines from the creed and then we're gonna let those lines draw us back to the source, which is the light of the Bible. We're gonna look at key Bible passages that give us the, the line in the creed. And so in saying that, I just wanna make it crystal clear, I'm not going to be preaching the creed. I'm gonna be preaching the Bible using the framework of the creed because there is no inherent power in the creed. What we are using the creed for is to push us back and take us to and into the powerful word of God that is in the Bible. Does that make sense? And that means really this fall and what this series is about is just gonna be that we're studying the core beliefs of Christianity and we're studying the story of the Bible. For those of you who have done some reading, maybe you've heard these terms, I kind of throw this out a little bit of extra, but the creed is doing is at least a couple things. It's doing what theologians call systematic theology and that is, that is where you draw together the different parts of the Bible on certain areas, it kind of distills bullet points of what we believe as Christ followers, so systematic theology. But it's also doing what scholars call biblical theology. And you'll notice that if you look at the flow of the creed, how it works, it starts at the very beginning, God the creator. It works its way through the pages of scripture, through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and it, and it ends with the resurrection, with the renewal of all things. It's like the whole story of the Bible in about 20 lines. That's what the creed is. Now, if you're listening to this, the question you probably are asking now is why? And that's the second question. Why does the Apostles' Creed matter for my life? You might be hearing this and thinking, okay, I get it. I get this is what Christians believe. I, I get this is what Christians have been reciting for 1,600 years, but why should I like show up on Sundays and you know, listen to you talk about it, show up at my life group you know, and study this for the next couple of months? Well, let me, let me give you some reasons why. 
When you look back at the early centuries of the church as the creed was taking shape and you see people talking about it, thinking about it, you begin to understand that Christ followers utilize the creed for at least four purposes. And these four purposes actually will show you why the creed matters for your life. Here's the first purpose, and that is clarity. Clarity, the creed takes this complex thing we call Christian theology with like thousands of ideas that you know, everyone's arguing about all the time and it brings it down, distills it, makes it extremely clear. And that's what we're gonna be doing, getting some things clear. What has the historic Christian church always believed? Why is it important and what does it matter for this cultural moment? It does matter. I'm just telling you it matters. Um, Lifeway and uh, Ligonier Ministries did this large survey a number of years ago about beliefs in churches just like ours. And the results of the survey were actually stunning and not in a good way. Uh, It revealed that so many of us, people who go to churches just like ours, we don't really know what the Bible actually teaches. There's so much confusion in so many churches. Some of the conclusions were this, less than half of the people think that the Bible is God's word and that it's true and authoritative. Uh, because of that, the very, uh, less than half people think that the Bible speaks with authority on the pressing moral, ethical issues of our day. People in churches just like ours, maybe some of you, don't really think you have to do what the Bible says on certain things. And it's kind of like maybe we've lost our way, you know? Uh, less than uh, Large numbers of evangelicals deny that Jesus is God in the flesh. They don't think that he is deity. Uh, Large numbers of evangelicals don't believe the Holy Spirit is a person, but see him as kind of this force, you know. Um, We don't understand the Bible, and therefore we don't understand how the Bible speaks to our lives. And really, it's interesting, we ask the wrong questions so many times, so many of us, think pragmatically about our faith. So many of us come through these doors, sit in these chairs, and what you think this service is about is Jesus solving your problems, about Jesus making your life better. That's what you think the purpose is. There is not a real hunger or thirst for spiritual formation as God has designed it to be, which is you by the power of God's Holy Spirit learning to walk in obedience to the word of God. So many people come to church and it's like, I just wanna get my life fixed now. I mean, I, I see it as a pastor all the time. You know, people, people say stuff to me, look, me like, yeah, Mike, I, I, it's taken me 20 years to jack up my marriage, but I want you to give me something that'll fix it now. I I think that's what you should do. Tell me how to make it better. A lot of us come and we wanna be entertained and we we evaluate what happens inside this room according to the level of our entertainment. We don't wanna participate. We just wanna consume. We don't wanna serve. We just wanna sit and watch and observe. And, and, And one of the reasons I know this is because of the things we say when we talk about church. I'll just give you one example, and I'm gonna get misunderstood about this, but that's okay. You can write the elders an email, just complain to them. We, we do this thing with our kids, like some of you are gonna, well, you're not gonna do it now after I say this, but you would have done it if I hadn't said this. After church, when you gather them and you get ready to take them home, you're gonna ask them a question, and it's gonna be the same question almost every Sunday. The question to your kids after church will be, did you have 
fun, right? We ask our kids, was it fun? And I get it, I understand we want our kids to enjoy you know, what happens at church. I want your kids to enjoy what happens at church. You know, one of our core values as a church is not making people miserable. We're, we're not about that, you know, that's not what we're trying to do. But do you understand if that's the question you're always asking, you are setting an expectation with your children, you are discipling them to think the church is about being entertained. Uh, and, and this is just kind of the way we, we, we are. Maybe, just maybe, we need the creed to help us find some clarity. Second purpose of the creed is balance. The creed pr- provides balance. And this could be looked at in a number of different ways. Um, all of us have certain things in the Bible that we, we love to know about, we love to study about, and all of us have other things in the Bible that we don't really wanna bother with. We don't really wanna know, we don't really want to study those things. I'll, I'll give you just a couple of examples. These are actually straight from the creed. So we all love the idea of the forgiveness of sins, amen? I mean, you know, we all know we're messed up, We all say, I do things I don't wanna do. I don't do things that I know I should do. I really want to do. I have a lot of regrets. I see what my sin does in my life. And and we say, I'm so thankful that God sent Jesus and that the Bible tells me that through Jesus, my sins can be forgiven. Love that. And you love it when I preach messages on forgiveness. You love it when we together sing songs about forgiveness. And that's in the creed. But then we come to the line in the creed about Jesus coming back from the right hand of the Father to judge the living and the dead. And we're like, um, why don't we just stick with forgiveness? Do we really have to do the judgment thing? You know, no one ever comes and says, Pastor Mike, I really wish you would do a seven-week series on God's judgment. It's never been asked of me before. Maybe one, it, one day it'll happen. It has never happened in all these years. And yet both things are true, Right? See, the creed brings us into balance. It makes us whole Christians who believe the whole Bible. It it leads us to be stronger and deeper disciples of Jesus who know not only what we believe, but why we believe it. And we, we, we just need that balance. I'll give you a picture of this that I think a lot of us can relate to. I think probably many, many of us are members of gyms, right? Uh, a lot fewer of us who are members of gyms actually work out at the gyms. I know that's the reality, but we're all members of gyms pretty much. We go to a gym. So we kind of know what happens in gyms sometimes. And every one of us has ever been in a gym has seen that guy. And you know what I'm talking about? He's the guy who's always there. And he's always working out, always working out on his upper body always doing bench presses, always doing the flies, always doing the curls, never doing the legs. You know what I'm talking about? That's the guy, he looks like a pear with two toothpicks stuck in the bottom, right? He's out of balance. He's, he's out of balance. I mean, he looks like the rock on top and Napoleon Dynamite on bottom. And I think a lot of us kind of do that with our walk with God. We, we, we focus in on one part of God's truth and we really give ourselves to that, get that down, but we know so little about so many other things that God 
has revealed. We're out of balance. And because of that, we lack spiritual power. Just like someone who doesn't ever work their legs. I mean, where does the power come from in the human body? It comes from the base. It comes from the foundation. And it doesn't matter how strong you are up here. You aren't as strong as you ought to be if that's not working that way. See, just like a guy who has this massive upper body perched on top of these skinny little bird legs, we cannot know the fullness of God's spiritual power that he has for us without balance. And so let me just put it to you this way. Write this down, a good application for you. Some of us need to do some spiritual squats. Some of us need to work on our spiritual glutes. Don't go too far with that one. That could be, I don't know, a problem, but you get the idea. We need to work on our base. The Apostles' Creed helps keep us in balance. Third purpose is counsel. See, one of the things we believe at Southwinds is that all theology is practical. This means that you should never know something about God that doesn't lead to change in your life. Truth is supposed to issue in obedience and life change. And so the purpose of knowing the creator and, and understanding his word is to change how we live to make us more like Christ. So go back to that chain reaction idea. Right ideas about God lead to right living in God's world. That leads to renewed lives. And if we don't have clarity about what the Bible teaches, we don't have balance on what the Bible teaches, and we're not going to be able to give counsel both to ourselves and other people. We're not gonna be able to apply the Bible effectively. The fourth purpose is reorientation. Reorientation. See, every week when we say the creed together, among other things, what we are doing is this. We are reminding ourselves of the ultimate true reality of this world we live in. We are reorienting ourselves away from the destructive lies of culture, reorienting to the truth that lies at the heart of everything. Matt Chandler also said this, when the early church recited the Apostles' Creed, it was ultimately their greatest act of rebellion and their greatest act of allegiance. Just think about that. You should talk about that in your life group. He said, when the church gathered, they didn't stand in an air-conditioned room protected by rule of law. When they, when they stood across the centuries, not knowing who would come in, being, being watched at who's reciting this, they were rejecting the popular narratives of their day. And we know this clearly from the New Testament. In the New Testament in Rome, they were rejecting the idea held across the culture that Caesar is Lord. They rejected that and they said, no, Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. When we recite the creed today, part of what we are doing is we are saying we do not believe the story that our culture is telling. We reject the, the narrative of materialism, that stuff will satisfy our lives. We reject the idea that what I need for physical satisfaction is more and more and more sexual partners, that sexual freedom and sexual expression is at the heart of what it means to be a fulfilled person. We reject that. We reject the idea in our culture that there are multiple ways to salvation, that everyone just has their own way. See, we fundamentally reject all those narratives because we believe. We believe in the God of the Bible. And, and when, the, when the church of Jesus recites this creed that is 
distilled from and pulled out of and wrung out of the word of God, we are saying this is what we believe and this is what we don't believe. We are reorienting our lives. I mean, just think about it. That's what's happening when we say we believe things. It's like we are making a conscious choice to not believe some other things. It's reorienting ourselves to truth. So here, here's how this is going to work each week. We're gonna come as part of our time together. We're gonna say the creed together. We're gonna study a line or maybe a few lines of, of the creed from a key passage in the Bible. And then we're going to consider together how that truth brings clarity and balance and counsel and reorientation to our lives. Does that make sense? That's where we're, we're headed. That's where we're spending the next seven weeks. And, and so that's why we're, we're doing this, uh, studying the Apostles' Creed together. Now, here's what we're gonna do with the rest of our time. I want us to look at the first two words in the uh, creed, the words I believe, and ask the question, what does I believe mean? Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you know that for Christ followers, believing's a big deal. Believing matters. Another word we use for this is faith. We, we say believe in God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in God. Have faith in, in Jesus. So what we're gonna do with the rest of our time is, is ask and answer what do we mean when we say that? What does it mean to say I believe? What's Christian belief? What does it mean to say I believe in God the Father? I believe in Jesus his son. I, I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean to believe according to the Bible? Now, to get at this, I wanna take a look, a fairly brief look at a passage in Romans. It's in the 10th chapter of Romans. It's verses eight through 13. We're gonna read that right now. So if you don't have your Bible out, go ahead and do that. Get your device turned on to that passage. Here's what Paul says. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look at verses eight and nine again. I wanna take your attention to the last four words of verse nine, you will be saved. Paul is telling us what we know in the core of our beings and that is that we live in an unsafe world and we need to be saved. According to the Christian Tradition, the Christian scriptures, we need to be saved from Satan and sin and hell and death. All of those things threaten us and life is scary. And I think what a word, what a word this is for this cultural moment in which we live, in which so many people, many among us, are living terrified lives. This world is not safe. I think you don't have to be a Christian to even know that and understand that the world is dangerous and unsafe. We're all battling fear, it seems. Everybody's battling anxiety. And the reason is this, we live in an unsafe world. And, and by the way, every religion on the planet, I mean, just name the Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, and secularism, do not forget the religion in our culture that's always trying to claim it's not a religion. Every religion, 
Every philosophy, every ideology is ultimately about being made safe. It's ultimately about being saved. I, I wanna live a safe life. I want to escape an unsafe world. But here's what I want you to see. In this passage, we see that Christianity is unique among every other religion and philosophy, and here's how. Christianity alone says that we are not made safe by doing something, but by believing something. See, if you've ever been at church much, around the church, you're like, you're like yeah, yeah, I get that. If you're, you haven't, you're like asking, what does that mean? But he goes on to restate the idea in verse 10, for with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So Paul says, with the heart we believe and we are justified. And to be justified means to have our sins forgiven. It means to be made right with God. Some of your translations probably say we are made righteous. Paul says, if you wanna have all the mistakes that you've ever made in your life be completely wiped away, then believe. That's it, believe and you can be justified. Believe and you can be made right with God. You can be made righteous, believe. He says, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so because of our belief, we receive salvation, the safety we long for, deliverance from Satan and sin and hell and death. And then he tells us why, verse 11. He says, for the scripture says, and he is quoting a verse from the Old Testament, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There are many people, I suspect many of us in this room right now, who live our lives weighed down with shame. Do you wanna be free of your shame? The Bible says, believe. Believe in God, believe in his son, Jesus Christ. He will forgive your sins. He will make you right with him. He will take away your shame. Believe. He will give you honor, and honor is the opposite of shame. And you wanna find honor from your heavenly father, then you believe. Go on to verses 12 and 13, and notice the inclusive language here, all this about all. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, say everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, here's the point. In these verses, we get this radically inclusive invitation. It's given to all peoples everywhere. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter your background, whatever your background is. No one's religious background matters. No one's sexual background matters. No one's background of doing some evil things, whatever those kind of things might be, matters. It is this inclusive invitation given radically to all people everywhere. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be brought into a life of safety. And again, I want you to see, do not miss it, the doorway into this life of safety, this life of honor, this life of blessing. It is not being a good person. It is not religious performance. This door into a life of safety is not about you getting your act together. Some of you right now, you are so intrigued. So intrigued by Jesus. There's just something about him and you wish you could know him, but you don't think you can 
because you don't have your act together. That's what you tell yourself. You think, as soon as I get my act together, then I can believe. I wanna tell you, you don't have to get your act together. Jesus got his act together, so you don't have to get your act together. Jesus died. He's done everything that's need to be done. All you have to do is believe. Receive him. Believe. Believe on Jesus. That is the doorway into life. The doorway is just to believe on Jesus. Now again, there's, there's a lot of different ideas about what that means and you talk to different people at church and get different ideas. Some people are gonna talk about it like it's an emotional thing. You have to feel some stuff to believe. You know, has to, has to do with my feelings. You know, I wanna be able to go home and you know, read my Bible and feel warm feelings, you know, from God somehow. Is that what it means to believe? People here that are kind of intellectually oriented are going, I hope it isn't. But then is it an intellectual thing? Is that what belief is about? Is it just giving intellectual assent or agreement to a certain body of truth? What does it mean to believe? I mean, how would you answer that question? Because we say it all the time. We're always talking about believing. Do you know what it means? In his book on the Apostles' Creed, Michael Bird, who I referred to, has a really helpful discussion. He talks about three realities of belief that work themselves out in our lives. And you really need to know all three of these things. They're all components or facets of belief. We see them in the New Testament. He says when the New Testament talks about belief, it talks about fact and about trust and about obedience. So let me take a quick look at these. First of all, belief is fact. It's a belief in fact. It, it involves reading the, the biblical story and understanding that there are really good reasons to believe that everything recorded in the Bible happened. It's belief as historical fact. It's the, the intellectual side of faith that when we read the Bible, most specifically the accounts of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, we realize that the apostles who wrote these accounts wrote them as actual historical witnesses who then based their lives, their existence on the historical facts that they had seen in the risen Jesus. And many of them were so convinced that they had seen the risen Jesus and touched him and, and looked at him. They were so convinced that he had raised again from the dead after they had watched him die on the cross that they were willing to die. They were willing to be martyred for their faith, for their belief in Jesus' fact. They didn't back off at the moment of death. I mean, if, you were, if they were lying, why would they have gone to their deaths for a lie? That's how much they believed in Jesus. In fact, the apostle John starts the letter we call 1 John, just like this. Here's the very first words of 1 John, verses one and two. He says, that which was, and I want you to focus on the emphasis on the senses that he's giving us. That which was from the beginning, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Friends, this is faith as fact. I heard the risen Christ, I saw him with my own eyes, I touched him, it's real, it's fact. John is saying my faith is founded on fact and I'm gonna stake my life on it. This is part of what it means to believe. Second, belief is trust. 
And this is reminding us that belief and faith, they're, they're more than just giving intellectual assent to some, some bare facts about something. Belief is also a commitment of my life. It's this heart level trust to the beautiful promises of God that he has made for you personally. See, our faith as Christ followers, the New Testament's so clear in this, it's supposed to be experiential. Something happens that's real when we meet God and we begin to trust him for who he is, we begin to understand that he is a father, that he is a, a shepherd, that he loves us and he cares for us and I can rest my life on him and trust in him to take care of me. I believe in him with my life. This is what Hebrews 11:1 1 says. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. See, this is a, a heart level confidence in a future that looks uncertain to others. That's what Michael Byrd describes it as. It is trusting God and his work for you through Christ at a deep core level. I have experienced the risen Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit. I have trusted in him. Finally, belief is obedience. Belief is fact. Belief is trust necessarily, if those things, those aspects are real, necessarily leads to this. It leads to obedience. It changes the way we live. Real faith never stays internal. It always expresses itself externally. And that's why this idea that people throw around sometimes, they say, you know, my faith is private. Friends, that's a lie. It's a total lie. Your faith is never private. It's personal, but it is not private. If it's true Christian belief, your belief has to be lived out. It has to change the way that you live your everyday life. And that is why James in his letter says that faith without works, belief without works is dead. He is just saying, if you say you believe and that doesn't change the way you live, he says, you don't actually believe. You're just saying stuff. And so when the creed starts with the words, I believe, and this begins to work its way through the, the core of Bible truth into our lives, what it is doing is this. And you might wanna write this down and think of this image. It, it kind of functions like a reset button for us. It resets things. It, it resets things by reminding us of the historical facts of the resurrection of Jesus. We're trusting in these facts that we see in the New Testament. It's reminding us of the fact that God has cared for his people in the past and he has also cared for us. We've experienced that. And so therefore we can trust him in the present and we can hope in him into the future. So it is this trust that's heart level, gut level. We say we believe these things. This is what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. It changes our lives. It's fact, it's trust, it's obedience. This works uh, out in a lot of ways. I'm gonna kind of give you some insights of this real quickly as we wrap this up. I wanna show you how understanding belief this way brings these uh, purposes to life that we talked about earlier. First of all, when we understand what the Bible teaches about belief, that it's faith is, as uh, act and trust and obedience, or fact and trust and obedience, it brings clarity. It brings clarity. It, it just shows us that belief is not an invitation to throw rationality out of the window. 
I mean, it's amazing to me how many people wanna say that Christianity is blind faith. And anytime someone says that, I know that they don't know anything about the Bible. They've never engaged with the Bible. Christianity, our true Christian faith is never irrational. Now, I'll qualify this. There are plenty of Christians who are irrational, okay? And maybe some of you are here sometimes. People get irrational, but that's not the true Christian faith. It is not irrational. We believe that the Christian faith as given in the Bible is intellectually true, that it's worth believing, and this is part of belief. And let me just add something to this. What this does is very important for those of you who wrestle with doubt. If you're someone who wrestles with doubt, and there are many people here who do, I do too at times. If we wrestle with doubt, only if there is something true to drive toward, if there's something true to examine and explore can we find resolution for our doubts? And this just reminds us that our, our doubts can be a gift that, that drives us deeper into the reality of God in his scriptures. It, it should drive us deeper into Christian community as we talk to people about our struggles. It should drive us deeper where we can find answers. It should not drive us away where we deconstruct our faith and just walk away. We should dive into understanding why Jesus is worth believing so clarity is important to believe. Second, this balances us out because again, all of us are, are drawn to one of these three elements of belief probably more than the others. I mean, some of you, you're really into learning stuff. You're kind of intellectually oriented. I mean, anytime I, I quote Tim Keller, you know, or something like that, you get all excited. And then maybe when I get to the practical stuff, you know, talk about relations or something, you're just kind of bored. That's okay, people are different. But others of us, maybe we're wired more emotionally. Maybe we really connect with the Lord through our times of worship. That's totally legitimate, but it's not everything. Others of us are doing people, right? You know, faith is obedience. We're kind of like, would all of you just stop talking about all this theology stuff? Would all of you just stop raising your hands in worship and actually do something, actually go serve somebody, like Jesus said? That's some of us, right? See, we need all of those things. It brings balance to us. And it shows us a couple things. Number one, it shows us that all of us, no matter who we are, how we are wired, we are a gift to the church. We need all of those things. We need scholars in the church. We need feelers in the church, artists in the church. We need nonprofit leaders, business leaders in the church who love God's kingdom and say, faith is obedience, let's go. We need people who love evangelism. They're like, man, would you guys just get off of your rear ends and tell somebody about Jesus? We need people, we need people who sit in offices all day and think. These are all gifts to the church. And when we have all of these things working together, it functions a way that balances us out. But I hope you also see in all of those descriptions that they probably point out areas you need to grow in. Don't just focus on the thing that you naturally do. Grow in the other areas as well. I mean, truth is, some of us, should be hearing this and saying to ourselves, man, I, I probably need to, you know, like read a book because it's been 20 years. Maybe you've been saying for a long time you believe this stuff, you don't know anything about it. It's time to learn. Others of you are maybe like, I, I gotta get out of my head. 
you know, my mind. I need to learn to love God. You know, first commandment is to love God with all our heart. You know, let him, let him be my shepherd. Let me experience him. And then others of us, we just live in that land of feeling. And, you know, we need to just stop feeling, get up off our butts and do something, go somewhere, serve kids, you know, serve our neighbors, share the good news of Jesus Christ, give out of our resources generously. So we all need to have this balance. And, and then the creed counsels us. It teaches us that we don't have to trust ourselves. We're believing in something bigger than us and it reorients us, it reorients us away from the lies our culture tells us all the time that we are the masters of our fate, that we're the captains of our soul, that we determine our identities and our, 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 our lives. It reminds us that God is God and we are not. I wanna close as we think about this, you know, by saying the creed is just such a gift. And I wanna, wanna end this by focusing in on the very first word of the creed, that word I. The creed starts with I. It pushes us to consider what I believe and it highlights the reality for a lot of us, we kinda live our Christian life vicariously. Sometimes through people up on a stage Sometimes these days we, we do that through podcasts, just listening to other people as they talk. The creed, what it does is it takes belief off the stage and it puts it on you. It, it puts it on me. What do I believe? What do I believe is the truth that stands at the very core of the universe? What am I trusting my life to and how does that influence the way I live and what will, will, will that give me the kind of life that I'm searching for and I just wanna tell you, friends, again, believing in anything other than Jesus, whether it's money or career or power or success or pleasure or relationships, believing that any of those things will give you the life you're searching for, that's the cultural lie that the creed reorients us away from. We are saying that only God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit can give me the life I long for. We believe that he is the truth and I can trust him with my whole life and he can shape the way that I live. And as we do that, that is when we flourish. That is when we find true, real life and purpose and meaning and fulfillment. Back in the early 20th century, there was a man named Harry Blondin who was an international celebrity and he was this acrobat. He did all these kind of amazing physical feats and one of the things that he did uh, was to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope and they would put the word out and people would come from all kinds of cities around, tens of thousands of people on both sides of the falls just to watch him do this. He would walk across you know, this span uh, over the falls, uh, you know, just by himself. And he'd do that a few times. Then he'd take objects with him like this wheelbarrow here. And one day, very famous story, you may have heard it before. One day, he crossed the entire falls pushing a wheelbarrow. He got to the side and everybody there you know, thousands of people just cheered. I mean, everybody's going crazy. This is unbelievable. This guy would, would, would do that. And he, he heard their cheers and they kind of quieted down. And he asked him, you think I can do it again? And everybody cheered even louder. They wanted to see him do it again. He said, you believe, you believe I can do it again? And they said, yes. And he then asked, 
All right, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And it got really quiet. See, ultimately, belief means you get in the wheelbarrow. The invitation of the creed is to get in the wheelbarrow, to stake everything in your life on the triune God as someone who is good, as someone who loves you, as someone who only has your best interests and hearts, as someone you can trust, and you can trust enough to reorient your entire life around, to do in obedience the things that he tells you to do. What do I believe? What do I believe? Am I believing in that which is real, that which is true, that which only leads to real life? That's what we're going to be studying, this invitation to believe in God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and what God is doing in this world to be saved.